0: Today, the Gospel gives us one of those strange readings, or the beginning of one of the strangest readings to be found anywhere in the Gospels. We find it in Matthew and in Luke. We hear that Jesus is going to be tempted by the devil in Mark's Gospel, but but we don't hear any of the details. We find them, however, in Matthew and Luke, and both Gospels tell the story very, very similarly, using much of the same language and much of the same interpretation. Nevertheless, it is an extremely unusual story. So today I'm going to deal with the first temptation, the first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Next Sunday I'll touch on the, and, and look at and, and discuss the second temptation of Jesus. And then the following Sunday I'll look at the third temptation of Jesus. So we're just going to start actually with what many people call the easy one today, the, the, the first temptation of Jesus. Now let's set the setting for just a minute here. Jesus has just been baptized. He's been baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. He's gone down, he's come up, and a dove has descended upon him, and God has spoken and said, You are my Son, the Beloved, in you I am well pleased. Jesus has just had this experience of God identifying him, speaking to him, proclaiming him the Son of God. You are my Son, the Beloved, in you I am well pleased. He then goes, and as it says in one of the strangest statements in the gospels to be found jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil now i can understand going into the wilderness and being tempted by the devil i can understand temptation and going there but to be led by the holy spirit of god to be tempted by the devil now that one's a little more difficult led by the spirit into the wilderness yes and they're tempted but led to be tempted this is a signal this is an indicator going out the gate that this is not going to be a regular kind of story a normal kind of account this is very unusual very curious very interesting indeed jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards in what must be one of the greatest understatements in all Scripture, and afterwards he was famished. I would imagine you would be hungry too if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's when the tempter, this interesting critter called the devil, comes to him and begins this temptation process. Now, let's take a look at that word tempt temptations. The, the Greek word being translated has several related, interconnected meanings. The first one is to, of course, entice to improper behavior. That's the most common understanding of temptation, to be enticed to improper, incorrect, immoral, simply wrong behavior. I was tempted by a great big bowl of ice cream last night, uh, and I Failed to it. I fell to it. I succumbed to a great big bowl of chocolate ice cream last night. That's the first meaning of this word. It's the most common meaning of this word, but there are other meanings that are actually used in the New Testament. Uh, Another is to entrap through a process of inquiry. We have examples of this when the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him a series of questions, and he provides them with answers. Um, It's like testing. We're going to try to entrap you or test you or lure you into making some statements that will paint you into a corner. I had several philosophy professors do that to me when I was in school. They would paint you into a corner that you couldn't possibly get out of through rhetoric and logic and other sneaky little means. That's one of the meanings of this word. You might call that one test. If the first one is tempt, the second meaning is more like test or try. The third meaning is to endeavor to discover the nature or character of something by testing, trying, or experimenting. Again, endeavor to discover the nature or character of something by testing, trying, or experimenting. And that's kind of what we have here today. It it can also be understood as a kind of of, um, taunting. If you really are the Son of God, if you really are that which God proclaimed about you at your baptism, if you really are God's Son, then prove it demonstrate it, establish it, change these rocks into loaves of bread. If you're, you're hungry, you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you're famished, that's what Matthew said, you're famished, therefore you see these rocks, change one of them into a loaf of bread and satisfy your hunger. Eat it. If you really are the Son of God... You have all power. You can do that, right? So do it. In other words, this is the nature of the temptations. An attempt to test, to lure into a box or a corner and find out what you're made out of. Are you really that which God proclaimed about you? it could almost be understood as this devil critter wanting to find out if that voice was correct, if that voice that spoke at his baptism was accurate, if this really is the Son of God. So you could understand it in that way. So in other words, it's not so much tempting to sin, although that is a factor involved, it's more of testing examining, experimenting to find out if this really is the Son of God. And it's taunting to prove it. Essentially, the devil says, prove that you're the Son of God. Prove it in a way that will be obvious, that will be clear for me and for everybody else to see. Now, before we go to any further, let's, let's address the question, could Jesus have done it? I mean, you know, he's hungry, he's in the desert, he hasn't had anything for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, yes, uh, he's starving. Could he have changed a rock into a loaf of bread? Well, if he truly is the Son of God, and this is the devil's tack if he truly is the Son of God, of course he can. It's just an automatic axiomatic fact. It's within the Son of God's power to work such a miracle. Now, you and I, we couldn't do it. I, 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 when I was in school at SMU, I used to practice on the football field at Owenby Stadium next door to, to SMU. And that happens to be right across Mockingbird Lane from Mrs. Baird's Bread Bakery. And there was nothing worse than in the afternoon smelling that wonderful odor, that oh dear. Because when you smell it, you go, oh dear, that smells great. That's why it's called odor. You smell that wonderful odor wafting across the street to you. And we're out practicing. It's cold, it's muddy, it's icky, you're tired, you're hungry. And you smell that incredible odor. And then I hike the ball and I start going and I break through the line. And I keep on a running trying to get across the street to the bakery. That's what you want to do. You smell that beautiful odier and you want to go for it. That's tempting, friends. That's a real temptation. Put some butter on that hot bread and it's even better, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the kind of temptation. That's the kind of desire we're talking about. So if I could have changed that football into a loaf of bread, I would have done it. Brown, kind of shaped like a loaf of bread. Why not? Well, Jesus, being the Son of God, sure was within his power, within his ability. So, why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he do it? Would it have been a problem for him to do it? I mean, after all, who's gonna know? You're in the desert you're by yourself. It's you and the devil. There's nobody else there. Who's gonna know? You know, zap a loaf of bread, rock, turn it into a loaf of bread, eat it, wipe out your hunger. Well, I mean, I can say, well, you know, after all, the devil suggested it. Is that a good idea to do what the devil suggests? I mean, what do you think? Do you think it's a good idea to do what the devil suggests? Shaking his head, no. Good answer. Right. You get a, a smiley face on your report card. Excellent. You don't do what the devil suggests. That's a really good reason not to do it. But that's not the only reason. He's in the wilderness for a reason. He's in the wilderness to prepare by fasting, by prayer, making himself ready to begin his ministry. He's fasting for a purpose, he's there for a reason. To do this would interrupt that and even more, even more. When the devil makes this taunt and says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, he's actually kind of, the devil is actually kind of misquoting John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist, when he was in the wilderness at the River Jordan baptizing people a bunch of pharisees and scribes came to him and challenged him as to what he was doing and he was surprised that they were there and they tended to you know substantiate their position in the community by saying that we're children of abraham and his response to them was do not presume to say to yourselves we have abraham as our ancestor for i tell you god is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. That's back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. God can raise children of Abraham from stones. God can take a bunch of rocks and turn them into the children of Abraham. If God can do that, then certainly the Son of God can make a loaf of bread. Hmm. I'm beginning to really dislike this temptation here. I'm beginning to really dislike this idea that to prove that you are the Son of God, you've got to create a loaf of bread from a rock. I mean, it's a fairly innocuous one, but, but come on. You're violating your purpose for being in the wilderness and, and you're succumbing to the taunting of this devil critter, this evil one, this tempter. This trickster, if you will. So, I can give you lots of good reasons for not, not doing this. Hmm. I believe. I believe that this is. This temptation, this first test, this first examination, this first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is more about that identity of him as the Son of God than anything else. Look at how he responds to the devil. The devil says to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Prove it. Work a magic trick. But Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What words came from the mouth of God about him? At his baptism. We already talked about that. At his baptism, God said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. God had already identified him as his Son. God had already identified Jesus as the Son of God no more proof is necessary no more indication need be given no more justification no more id need be presented than the words of god about him no reason to prove it to the devil or for that matter to us it's more about jesus's sonship in fact all three temptations are about the sonship of Jesus and the nature of what it means to be the Son of God or for us, children of God. And here Jesus responds to this temptation, to this test, to this examination by simply saying, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He's quoting Scripture. He's quoting the Word of God about the word of God he has already received about him. That is the only ID he needs. No magic trick, no miracle, no changing rocks into bread. Simply God's already proclaimed identification of who and what he is. Jesus responds to the tempters, to the devil critters, Exam by simply quoting scripture. Hmm. Hmm. Now, there are several problems, several problems that we might want to address in connection with this temptation and with the other temptations that we'll be looking at over the next two Sundays. And the, let's do the two of them right now. They're both problems with the entire count, And the first is that this kind of experience, this kind of uh, temptation by that voice that tries to get you to prove something about yourself or tries to get you to go another direction from the direction that you know you've been called to go in or tries to get you to be something that you're not, or to prove that you are something that you claim to be, this voice that tries to get you to do something that you know you should not do. So frequently people will use that, the devil made me do it, as an excuse for their improper, wrong, evil, sinful, diabolical actions. That can't be substantiated by any aspect of this story. The idea of saying, well, the devil made me do it, therefore I'm not responsible for having done it, isn't going to fly. It's bogus. It's a bunch of bull, (laughs) loaning. Last night when I ate that bowl of ice cream, it wasn't the devil that made me do it. It was my sweet tooth. And I wanted to do it. And I wallowed in it. Well, not literally. I ate it. (laughs) And enjoyed it. Was it good for me? No. Should I have done it? No. Did the devil make me do it? No. And that's true for everything. Had Jesus succumbed, it wouldn't have been the tempter. He would have been him. Hmm. So sorry. It's not as obvious with this one, but it's there. The next two are oh, quite, quite a bit more sinister. Yeah, it's going to come up again. but The answer is the same. We remain moral agents no matter what the reason. We remain moral agents no matter what we face. Let's put it into flesh and blood for today. We saw horrible news this past week and the week before of some pretty brutal murders committed by ISIS, including the beheading of 21 Christians for the simple reason that they refused to renounce Jesus. They refused to denounce Jesus as Lord. And many of them died with the name of Jesus on their lips as they were being murdered, crying out to God, affirming their love of Jesus horrible and i will admit to you that when i first saw it my initial response was not pretty and that night as i was going through my evening prayer when i reached the prayer portion of the prayer where i'm to pray for my enemies for those who have done wrong against me and those I care for I found my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth and I couldn't finish the prayer the next night I stumbled again and I couldn't finish the prayer the third night I struggled through. I finished the prayer, but I didn't believe it. It was rote, it was form, it was the necessity of praying it. I didn't want to pray it, but it was there, and so I did it. The fourth night, as I prayed, the words of a Coptic bishop, the bishop of these people who were murdered, ran through my head. Where he said, We cannot forgive the act, the action, but we can forgive the actor, the people who did this, and we must. Otherwise, the harm continues to be done. Far more than 21 are killed. Our spirits are killed in anger and a refusal to forgive. Those words ran through my mind, and I I choked and tried and submitted it to Jesus, trying to mean the prayer of forgiveness for them. I'm not going to tell you I've succeeded, but I think I know what I've got to do. Yes, we need to stand up for those who are in in danger of being murdered this way. We must proclaim the righteousness of God and call for justice and peace. But we must also reach the point where we realize that the same Jesus who died for us died for those who did this heinous act and therefore in the end we must forgive the temptation is to not forgive the temptation is to say the devil made them do it and therefore i'm going to hate them no they are moral agents themselves as immoral as it was and we can find the action reprehensible and still find it within us to call for forgiveness the first challenge here the first problem with this whole account is how these types of things are used by people to try to justify sinful actions, immoral actions, you name it. Horrible, heinous crimes. Well, the devil made me do it. Sorry, that won't fly. As I said, it's a bunch of baloney. The second one has to do with the devil, him, her, or itself. Why is it we're always wanting to be inclusive when it comes to God, but never when it comes to the devil? Jesus Jesus responded to this critter. This critter is depicted as having some pretty amazing powers. Jesus replied and responded to this critter with the authority of the Word of God, affirming what God had already spoken about him, quoting Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, to confound and confront this critter. It's going to happen the second and it's going to happen the third time this is a pretty amazing being. In the next couple of temptations, it's going to be some pretty amazing things are going to happen. And it raises the question and was raised in Bible study this past Tuesday. And if you've been missing Bible study, come come either to the 1 o'clock session or the 7 p.m. session Tuesday night. Come, come, come. We were addressing this just a week ago. Is this is this a story about dualism where we got a good god and a bad god you've got god you've got the devil you've got yahweh you've got satan whatever you want to name them and and we've got the struggle and human beings are simply pawns in the midst of it all is that what this is no and we're going to look at that the next two sundays i want to dangle that one out there for you so come <laughs> don't miss the next two services, next two Sundays, because we're going to look at what this devil critter is and what it means to confront evil without becoming evil yourself. In the name of the Father and of the Son.